Hello and welcome to Propnex, the property podcast about all things related to the future of real estate. I'm delighted that you've joined me today. My name is Gavin Morgan, your host. If you'd like to know a little bit more about me, please check out www.propnex.com. That's P-R-O-P-N-X.com. Or drop me a line if you'd like to chat privately on Gavin R. Morgan at propnex.com. That's G-A-V-I-N-R-M-O-R-G-A-N at propnex.com. Tim Foreman, um, welcome back to Propnex. Tim, I'm delighted to say you're the first repeat guest that we've had on the podcast. So uh, maybe a quick inter- quick reintroduction, but um, obviously a very important topic and an interesting one for today. Thanks, Gavin. Thanks, Thanks for having me back. Uh, it's an honor. Um, so my name is Tim Foreman. I'm a partner in Undivided Ventures, which is a a new venture capital fund investing in sustainability solutions for a built environment. And I'm also a senior teaching associate at Cambridge. I teach in the university. Um, I teach sustainable design to built environment professionals of, of all stripes, engineers, architects, um, developers, etc. Yeah. And uh, well, Tim, thank you for that. And uh, today's topic, I mean, you and I, when we uh, spoke previously, um, agree that we get back together to talk about the new development versus repurposing of assets. Um, I mean, I think really the concept of stewardship in real estate ownership rather than build it for a purpose and then dock it down and rebuild it for another purpose. Um, Looking at real estate from a stewardship um, perspective. Uh, And maybe could we start just with what I think would be an interesting just quick few minutes on where embedded operational carbon uh, occur in sort of from the planning to the development and operation of an asset and uh, and the concept of environmental net gain. Could we talk? Could we start by talking about that a little bit as context? Certainly, yeah. I think. Um... I mean, look. I think we should we should differentiate at the start between carbon and other environmental concerns. And of course, carbon is on everybody's mind because it's linked to climate change. Um, probably all too often ignored is the kind of parallel crisis that we're living through or emergency that we're living through, which is the sort of natural capital crisis. Um, so we know that we're having you know unprecedented loss of species, and we're 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 depleting our natural resources or natural capital. But to your question, I mean, I think any time we're building, we have to accept that there's going to be an environmental cost, and it can be massive. Um, and for instance, concrete, and we don't know how to build buildings without concrete. Concrete accounts for about 7 or 8% of all of our global CO2 emissions. And that's almost all being used in, in buildings. And, and steel, similarly, about half is being used in buildings, but that accounts for another 7 or 8% of our carbon emissions. So, you know, where is that? Why, where is that going? Where, is that, where are those materials being used? Well, they're being used in construction. Um, and similarly, anytime we're building, we're depleting natural capital. So we have to find ways of driving down the environmental cost or the toll of building. And very often that simply means avoiding building altogether. Um, or if we do have to build, it obviously means doing it in very smart ways to minimize the, the, the amount of embodied carbon or the, the energy and carbon that's required to produce a building. It seems to me that legislation and regulation are really the only way to get this type of thing to change quickly enough 
do you agree with that or do you think that's an overly sort of heavy handed way to look at the situation? No, I do agree. I um, unfortunately, I think like everybody else been waiting, waiting for that legislation and regulation and policy to actually make the change that we need. And it, and it simply hasn't. And I've been watching like many people for, for a very long time. Um, I do think it's the case that we have to radically rethink how we do business. We, we have to redefine the business models in, in the real estate sector and, and the design and construction sectors. We have to incentivize retaining those existing structures. And unfortunately, you know, carbon generally is not priced. You know, maybe about 20% of the carbon emissions in the world are priced, but the vast majority aren't. So really there's no direct cost at the moment um, to emitting carbon or depleting natural capital um, you know, limiting biodiversity through your practices. And um, I suppose the problem then is, is if, if the client isn't motivated by cost and the developer or the, the designer or the constructor isn't necessarily motivated by the, the cost of that carbon, then somebody has to put a price to that carbon. There has to be a consequence to emitting carbon. Otherwise, people will just continue to do it in free market conditions. So that is, I suppose, where regulation and policy and legislation has to play a role, can play a role, and has to play a role. Um, as I say, you know, unfortunately, it's it's not happening. We're sitting here as COP27 is proceeding, and it's um, proceeding maybe better than expected, but still looks like we've got something in the order of seven times too low, too, too, too uh, um, limited a, a commitment of resources from, from uh, countries around the world. So the governments haven't committed the money that it's going to require, which begs the question, who will and under what conditions? And, and I think, you know, frankly, I think that's an open question. What's really obvious is our carbon emissions are still going up. We're not driving them down quickly enough. Um, even in the best places in the built environment sector where they are going down, they're not going down anywhere nearly quickly enough to, to reach um, net zero by, by 2050, which we know we need to do. So, you know, big problems and, and no immediate solutions, really. Yeah. And, and you talked about, um, I mean, there are, you know, there are some great signs out there in the private sector. I mean, particularly when you look at the amount of uh, the number of funds that are being raised, uh, where they can only be deployed in assets where, you know, there are a variety of different objectives, whether it's net zero carbon or carbon positive. Um, but there's also a lot, there's a lot of capital still available out there for um, unsustainable development, and that will remain the case, I suspect, for quite some time. Um, so that's another capital that we're talking about i mean of the available finance you talked about natural capital and when we were talking leading up to this podcast it was interesting you, you mentioned that you'd like to speak not only about natural capital but social capital and resilience um, and you talked to me about those sort of in the context of carbon and climate and reinforcing sort of trends and I mean, you talked about carbon rationales too. Could you maybe elaborate a little bit more on that? I mean, again, from my perspective as well as from the listeners, I'm just interested in reading your notes and wanted to hear a little more from you on that. Um, I mean, we talk very often in sustainability about everything being nested and everything being connected. And I think what you've just described is a really good example. So we know that climate uh, resilience, the ability of, of the planet to maintain a sort of steady, um, habitable climate, is directly linked to the health of, of natural systems, so ecology and biological systems. Um, and, and likewise, uh, therefore, if, if those systems are affected, then our climate is affected and vice versa. If our climate is affected, then our natural systems are affected. 
And of course, we need those systems to live, to eat, to breathe, to 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 have a healthy, happy, healthy life. And when those systems fall out of balance, then there are direct impacts on the economy. When crops fail, uh, businesses struggle with extreme weather events, etc. Um, and knock-on impacts then on society and 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 the ability of people to have those happy, healthy lives. So that's why um, you know funds like ourselves and Undivided and 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 other groups that are looking at sustainability as a kind of complex, nested issue aren't just focused on climate. Um, we see that the sustainability crises, the resilience crises, are going to certainly require doing something about the carbon, doing more than something about the carbon um, crisis. But equally, we can't ignore um, the, the need for, for communities that can withstand those effects, um, the need for a strong local basis of knowledge and training and skills and preparedness, um, the ability to sort of adapt to the changing climate. Um, you know, look, I think, unfortunately, climate change is absolutely coming. That's a foregone conclusion now. We've had the scientists at the UN this last couple of weeks announcing that um, the pathway to one point five degree future is, is no longer viable. So what that means, unfortunately, is that the real effects of climate change will come. Um, they are already coming and they'll continue to come. So we need to start thinking about how we prepare buildings and cities to withstand the effects of climate change. Um, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with, with the sort of social value and, and environmental value, local values. Um, you know, people, people need to have access to resources um, and the ability to, to lead decent lives. Um, even if climate change is coming. So that's very much our focus. And to your point around capital, I mean, I, I completely agree. There's a there's a huge amount of capital flowing around in this space. Unfortunately, a lot of it is kind of not being directed where it's needed most. Um, and I suspect we're going to be, you know, we're seeing that changing already and we'll, we'll continue to see that change. Uh, in Europe, we're starting to see the sustainable finance disclosure regulations really driving change. And around the world, we're seeing other um, uh, sustainability regulations coming into force to 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 shape, I suppose, investment in sustainability priorities. Um, so that gives me a lot of hope. Uh, but no doubt, you know, a huge amount, a huge amount more effort and capital is needed today and immediately. You know, five, ten years from now, it's simply going to be too late. Yeah, no, it certainly it certainly seems that way. And you know, a, a slightly more fragmented, sort of fractured world uh, politically uh, isn't really helping, uh, which is you know, one of the sad consequences of. Um, you know uh, how things have shaped up over the last four or five years, and um, Tim, one thing that I, one thing that I thought would be incredibly useful to people um, in the construction industry, the development industry, landlords, um, would be a calculator um, where you could easily compare not just the utility um, but the um, impact of refurbishment versus redevelopment. Have you seen anything out there like that? that is reliable and do you think that i mean it's obviously it's not a one-size-fits-all industry but i do think it would be possible to create something that would broadly show the comparison that i do think would prove the case for keeping and fixing rather than tumbling and rebuilding um your thoughts on that please absolutely I mean, we are seeing um there are more and more databases of carbon um, values out there so that if you need to know how much data, excuse me, how much carbon uh, would be embodied in a specific building material, for instance, um, you could generally find a, a reasonably accurate number. Historically, um, it's quite famously that data has been really poor quality and, and patchy, um, but it's improving. 
And as a consequence, we are seeing um, some interesting businesses, some interesting startups trying to to work with that data availability, the increased quality of that data. Um, so we're seeing um, everything from, I suppose, sort of automated carbon accounting software um, uh, uh, to automated design software that uses embodied carbon values um, to optimize designs. Um, and those are, you know, those sorts of startups are really exciting to us, of course, in our fund and and. Um, you know, I think generally in industry, we are seeing a pivot toward um, looking for those services. I think the in-house expertise is very expensive to maintain for a, a developer or an engineer to, to sort of have in-house expertise in, in optimizing carbon. Um, so I agree. We, you know, we certainly do need tools. Um, they're coming, but they're coming, as always, too slowly um, for the crisis. Um, you know, I think I think with the with the uptick in machine readability, machine learning, AI, big data, et cetera, there's really no reason why we should be grappling with these issues still. Um, it's a matter of time, and, and, and thankfully, these things are moving quite quickly now. And have you seen, um, you know, have you seen anybody out there who's leading the way on this? Um, I mean, I'm looking around, and it's certainly there are... Um, I'm not sure that it's redevelopment, but when I look at some of the things that groups like Lendlease are doing, and more specifically the Glulam technology that they use to basically create all wood and glass structures on concrete podiums, uh, several of those very successfully delivered down in Australia. They're fantastic. I mean, not only um, build using sustainable materials, but uh, they're actually fantastically practical and attractive assets. Um, not quite what we're talking about, but a you know, a, a, an interesting step in the redevelopment direction that takes a lot of the boxes that we're talking about. Um, have you seen, I mean, are there any examples that you're seeing of any groups uh, around the world that are leading the way in, in, in good quality refurbishment? Um, I mean, one, um, one group uh, that uh, has absolutely excelled at that is uh, an old client of mine, Hong Kong Land in Hong Kong, with that, their central portfolio, which... Um, consists of buildings, I mean, in some cases, I think buildings that were built in the early 1970s, I think they might predate you and I. <laughs> um, and they've done a wonderful job of repurposing and tweaking and adjusting. And, uh, you know, it's certainly more recently with much more of a focus on the environment rather than just humbling the lot and, and redeveloping. Um, but I'm wondering, in other parts of the world, are you seeing anyone taking uh, taking a um, similar approach uh, and and also using that approach to evangelize for the benefits of doing it that way rather than the traditional sort of knockdown or redevelopment? That's a great question. Um, I think the short answer is yes, but probably you know me being a cynic that I am, Gavin, probably probably not enough. Um, I, I I've seen some great examples of of circularity. Um, in other words reusing, reclaiming and reusing building materials. Um, there's a developer I, I came across recently in London, a small developer called GS8, and they've done, um, you know, developments of eight or 10 houses without without a single skip, without a garbage receptacle. I mean, that's, I've never heard of such a thing. That's that's incredible. And they're, they're doing that by reclaiming. Yeah, I feel like saying materials. how, and, and I'd love to see that, but it's, it's an incredible exactly, feat. Like yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, and I've seen similar projects. I mean, there's a, there's a fair amount of this kind of activity in Northern Europe, particularly in the Netherlands. Um, you know, not exactly your question, but the Netherlands has a fantastic national database, um, TNO, I believe is the, the initialism, which is a database of all available used building materials. So if you're demolishing a building, it comes to the end of its life, you can you can itemize and, and inventory everything that's coming out of the building. It then gets stored 
and the next person who comes along to build the building can access that that database and and, and find used materials. I think if we had the ability to to build quote unquote new construction with used building materials where appropriate, obviously, and we had a system for testing and specifying and 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 standardizing those used materials and the quality of those materials, we'd be well on our way. Um, you know, somewhere between a third and two thirds of a building's lifetime carbon footprint is coming from the materials that are going into it. So developers like GS8 are sort of unfortunately, you know, in my experience, they're the small developers that are doing really innovative radical things like that. But the likes of of Landlease and the, you know, the the tall timber construction that you're talking about, um, absolutely having a massive impact. Um, I just I'm not I've not seen such a radical approach where there's a you know a whole building being essentially uh, reused. I've not seen on a large scale. Um, I think it's high time that we we start to see those major developers. And please, if anybody's listening who's aware of those, I'd love to hear about examples, um, you know, of, of major developers doing major buildings with with reused materials. I think until we get to um, truly sort of circularity and in a way of optimizing our existing buildings. There's, there's simply no way that we can make a meaningful dent in the in the climate and nature emergencies. That's that's just the harsh reality. But it's you know as we talk about all of this, Tim. I mean, I think it starts to lead toward not just an interesting conclusion, but a practical conclusion. Um, realistically, um, and again, realistically, aligned legislation around the world force the change that we need in a short space of time it's probably unlikely to happen again you know we're in a politically tumultuous world at the moment so you know a lot less likely to happen now than it may have may may have been a possibility probably not five or six years ago or beyond so it feels like um it feels like an appropriate rather than the topic of today which is refurbish and reuse rather than redevelop narrow um it feels like the the right way forward here or a successful way forward for the world is a combination of that redevelopment, but redeveloping from exclusively reused uh, or repurposed materials and new construction in situations where new construction can be completely sustainable. Um, uh, a, you know, in the manner of the sort of glue lamb sort of wooden type structures that we've talked about too. And it feels that sort of commercial, it feels like commercial forces in the world will push that along um, because of the competitiveness that exists, not just between uh, owners of real estate competing for tenants, but also organizations trying to put their people in better places. Um, I mean, there's a whole other force that we haven't talked about today, which is the force of the occupier. Uh, and there is a strong body of groups and occupiers, whether it's residential, stroke, domestic use or commercial use, that are seeking to be in better places where they can perform well and function at an optimal level, um, which is a big push factor um, from a group that is very, very important to building owners. So just um, really concluding with that, Tim, and sort of handing back to you to see if you have any final thoughts for us before we wrap up for today. Um, I... I think I'd just like to hit on, um, yeah, maybe just under, underscore the value of, of reuse and adaptability. Um, I think our first priority should always be not to build. And that means, I suppose, we need new business models. We need, we need new ways for the people who not just construct the buildings, but, but sell, manage um, buildings. We need them to find opportunity 
in this transition that we're talking about. And I think there are real ways. This isn't just sort of pie in the sky discussion. In fact, I've had I've had conversations with managing directors of major international design, engineering, construction consultancies, and they're you know they're thinking the same things. They see the changes coming, and they understand business models will have to change. To your earlier point, you know, let's not forget about policy and the regulation um, that we need. Uh, we've seen successful measures in Europe. I mean, the energy performance certificates and the initiatives to to limit the ability to buy and sell the, the lowest uh, rated buildings for energy efficiency. I think those sorts of mechanisms could drive real change and could incentivize reuse of existing buildings. Um, but we've got to get it right. And, and everybody knows that things like the energy performance certificates and the regulation in Europe have while noble as they've been, they've not, you know, they've had their teething problems and we, we can't just sort of turn our back and say, well, they're okay, but they're not great. We, we need those mechanisms um, to be fit for purpose. And, and I guess the final thing I'll say is that everybody, uh, everybody has a role to play here. And I don't think the message at all should be um, that we need to sort of contract business or um, that there's a, there's necessarily a sort of loss of opportunity in any of this. It's simply a matter of, shifting away from business as usual and, and opening our minds to, to new ways of doing. I think I'll leave it there, Gavin. Um, you know, there's so much to talk about. I think we could go on for, for hours, but um, suffice to say, this is a really rapidly changing, changing, uh, changing world we're living in. Yeah. And, uh, and still, I mean, as you said before, you know, probably one of the most interesting times to be involved in real estate so much. I mean, if we're having this conversation again in five years, I'm sure there will have been an incredible amount of change and most of it for the good too. Tim Foreman, thank you very much for joining us again today on PropNex, and um, hopefully another one again soon. Uh, Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thanks, Kevin. So that's a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank you very much for tuning in to listen today, and hope to welcome you back to hear some of our future shows. As I mentioned earlier, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about me, with www.propnex.com that's www.propnex.com or drop me a line on Gavin R. Morgan at propnex.com that's G-A-V-I-N-R M-O-R-G-A-N at propnex.com I hope to hear from you soon and thank you very much again for tuning in today all the very best